You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, episode 100. We as coaches have the opportunity to invite our clients to begin on a lifelong journey of transformation, small steps at a time, small bits of transformation at a time. I say that any shift in perception is a small transformation. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello, Star Coaches. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler, and want to welcome you to our 100th episode. Thanks for joining us in this 100th episode of the show. I wanted to highlight the reason that I created this particular platform, and that was to connect coaches with resources. We've talked about that many times through the show. It continues to be my driving force. I want to offer conversation between coaches that brings forward new learning, things to consider, avenues to strengthen our skills and build our businesses. And as I mentioned in a recent solo episode, to increase clarity of focus and what and who we are as coaches. Now, I have been absolutely blessed and honored to meet the many coaches and other guests that we have brought to the show that have shared their insights, their strategies and tools that they have used to strengthen their delivery of service, their ability to attract clients, and continue to bring their contribution to the world of coaching and the world at large. Just under two years ago, I began this journey. And very truthfully, I was unaware of exactly how I was going to bring 52 shows a year to my audience, but I was committed to learning along the way. And I think you'll probably notice if you've been a listener this two years past, that hopefully you've seen growing and learning and tweaking of the program as we've gone along. And I continue to be dedicated to learning and growing, and you'll continue, hopefully, to see tweaks and and improvements. I'm actually in the process of considering some rebranding right now and updating some of the aspects of the show and the website. Now, nothing's going to be interrupted. You'll still get a show every week as I walk through this process. But I did want to give you a heads up that you might hear from me asking for your feedback if you're willing, and I would be so grateful for some feedback about what's most helpful for you on the website, in the membership site, and on the show. So keep your ears and eyes tuned for possibly getting a request from me to either schedule a time to talk with me or complete a short survey for me or both. So thanks in advance for that. Just keep your eyes open as we now move into episode 100 and beyond. Now, I thought long and hard about what I wanted to do with this milestone episode and thought that the best way to highlight my initial intention of the show 
would be to bring forward again some of those key learnings that came out over this past 100 episodes that really stood out to me from the interviews. And I got to tell you, this was no easy task. With 99 episodes that every single one brought value, brought new things to think about and and ways to be, it was really hard to come up with just enough wisdom to fill our treasure trove with, you know, gold nuggets and at the same time honor the fact that you probably don't want to listen to a four-hour show. So I had to think through, what do I want to zero in on? And I've already done some summary shows. I have the summary show around business tips and and around strengths. And since I'm a teacher at heart and a teacher about how do we show up best as coaches? What are the skills and the strengths that we bring to the process in order to honor our client? I decided that I wanted to honor the process of coaching and decided that the words of wisdom that I would compile for this 100th episode would be about just that. How do we show up as coaches? What does the process of coaching look like? What are some key elements that seem to be essential to what we think about as we move forward as coaches? So that is the compilation that we're going to listen to today. Just some incredibly wise and generous coaches have brought their information to the show. And like I said, I mean, even as I'm I'm saying this now, I know that there was so, so much to choose from, but I really believe that what we have in the lineup for today is well worth hearing again, even if you've heard every single show that I've done. And I certainly hope that you have, or if you haven't, you're committed to doing so. These are some key elements that are well worth hearing again. So I wanted to start with that concept of the fact that coaching as a profession is relatively new in the scheme of helping professions. We've talked about this before. And the fact that the concept of coaching holds many different meanings for people. In this emerging profession and in thinking about the organizations that we have within the world of coaching, such as the International Coach Federation, there is effort and a a movement to create clarity and understanding about what coaching is and what it isn't and what it brings to our clients and, and to organizations, what when we stand sort of in the face of pure coaching, what that looks like and what that brings. So that led me to look at episode 58, where we were joined by Janet Harvey. She's a master certified coach and a longtime leader within ICF. And she described the coaching partnership and reflected the true meaning of coaching so eloquently that I wanted to share this part of our interview with you. I believe that the the engagement is really as partner, as equals, as peers. Both practitioner and clients are 
whole, resourceful, capable, and creative. As a practitioner, when I fully trust you as my client to go wherever you go with whatever I ask or say as right for you, I no longer have to worry about whether I'm saying the right thing. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Our partnership is what facilitates insight and learning to emerge that then becomes actionable because the client's ready for it to be actionable. That's not my judgment or my choice to make. It's only the clients. Now, I do have a responsibility in that partnership to stay true to my belief in that whole resourceful, capable, creative self. And that means being brave, to be challenging, to be direct, to allow that client to see themselves the way I see them, the way I'm experiencing them. Again, not as a right or a wrong, but simply in this moment, I'm aware this is happening. What are you aware of, client? What's familiar to you about how I'm reflecting this back to you? In what way is it aligned or congruent or the opposite, misaligned or incongruent with what you're wanting? What is it asking of you? Is there a new behavior you want? And what belief must you adopt in order to behave in that way everywhere, all the time, so that you can be consistent and congruent? So partnership is super important and how we hold that as peers and as a a source of reciprocal inspiration, super key. Janet also went on to describe the difference between coaching and other helping professions. And I think that this is so key because as I described that coaching is relatively new, sometimes there is confusion between the helping professions. And I thought Janet did a great job in her interview highlighting the differences. I think it's very important, two things that you've said in the way you've set up the contrast between coaching and consulting and coaching and therapy. And one is the diagnostic piece. And this is really the beginning of the difference between a partnership and a business relationship. And if I'm to be providing my expertise so that a certain outcome can be produced, I am responsible for the quality of my ability to assess what's needed, right? Contractually, that's required. However, in coaching, we have a different premise. We're not here to fix anything. Coaching is about being useful, not being helpful. That's a bit of a vocabulary dilemma. Lots of coaches come into the field because they want to help people have better lives. Well, that presumes they don't have a good life. That's not our job or our Yeah. So I actually was introduced to that switch in language by a colleague from England by the name of John Whittington, who does systemic constellations work, coming out of family constellations work for your viewers who might be familiar with that. And the more I've explored that in the last decade to switch the vocabulary from help to useful, helpful to useful, um, even with the leaders of, at the very top of the organization, I'm thinking about a COO right now who's doing a big, huge culture change, 40,000 person organization. And he was working on his talking points for an upcoming town hall. And I said, okay, all the places that you have helpful, change it to useful and say it out loud for me. And then tell me what you notice. And every time he said useful, he paused. He slowed down his cadence. The digestibility of what he was talking about went up. And he could feel afterwards, what he reported was, I could feel how respectful it was of the audience and how much more meaningful our commitment to take certain sets of actions um, is because we're contributing, we're not fixing. That's it. That's exactly right. And this is the distinction between coaching and consulting and coaching and therapy, therapy and and consulting, 
have their place. They are extraordinary modalities, very valuable. And people at times need someone who know better than them how to move their themselves forward. That's not the premise of coaching. Coaching says, if you want a place to hear yourself think, if you want a place to reflect and become more aware of what matters most to you so that you can navigate a new set of choices in a healthier way for you, in a more satisfying way for you, however you client define that, then our partnership will be effective for you. And the fact that they don't do it on their own is the reason we're valuable. We are, we're terrible at having conversations with ourselves. Have you ever done the little experiment of you've been having this fantasy or dream or, or idea and it's been percolating in the back of your head and you know it's like it is the best thing you've thought of in months. And you tell that idea to somebody and they look at you with this blank stare. And then that instant you realize when it came out of my mouth, it didn't sound as good as it did in my head. <laughs> and so, yes, this is exactly what happens in coaching. So the client is able to say things and they might be saying something quite critical that never sounds as critical out loud as it does in their head mm-hmm. or saying something that they think is a really cool idea. And when asked a few questions about it, they realize, ooh, there's some missings in my head. <laughs> there might be a hole or here or there. Yes. Or here. <laughs> yeah. And then there might be, wow, I'm, it's, if it's to be, it's all up to me. Am I really believing that? I don't want that. I want to work with a team. All right, client. How might you begin to imagine having other people participating in this cool idea? And we're off and running to a new level of learning and forwarding the action. So it is about the dialogue between the coach and the client that allows something to emerge that isn't available independent of each other. That's the value proposition. Now, for those coaches who have chosen to attend certified training programs, they're very likely familiar with coaching core competencies. They've been established by the International Coach Federation. They're tried and true, and they help us to understand the space that we hold for our clients and how we as coaches want to meet them in that space. Now, more recently, the ICF has established the PCC markers, and they've been added to each competency, and they create even more clarity about how we as coaches can more effectively behave or respond to what our clients bring forward. And they've been a very helpful addition. However, I think especially when someone is first learning the skill of coaching or or new to coaching and understanding maybe uh, even that, oh my gosh, I thought I was coaching this whole time and maybe I wasn't now that I'm understanding what pure coaching really looks like, those 11 competencies might seem a little daunting. I've often heard from students, how am I even supposed to attend to all of those competencies in a single session? In reality, the competencies are not individual. They're very interrelated and intertwined. They're not a checklist to go through in our head as we coach. They're actually a way of being and and holding the space for the client. And in fact, when the competencies become the focus of the session, the actual coaching is lost. And this is something that Master Certified Coach Teresa Poole discussed in her issue and her episode, episode 41. 
there's one that if you get this one going, the rest will begin to fall in place, and that is coaching presence. You know, trust and intimacy is about that wonderful container we create for the clients to be in, right? That safe space and a safe environment. The coaching presence is about our space, our environment, what we bring to the table. And as long as in our space, we're thinking about our performance. If in our space, we're thinking about, I need to be a great coach for this person. I need to help them achieve that goal. There's something I have to accomplish here. I have, it's my responsibility, the the I, 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 as long as we are in that place, then all the other competencies reflect that. It's reflected in our listening. It's reflected in our direct communication and the way we ask questions. It is reflected everywhere because we feel this pressure. And as long as you feel that, you have to help the client. You take away their power, Mm. right? Every time we help our client, we take away their power. So you have to internalize that as a coach. And it requires a tremendous amount of not just confidence in yourself, but faith in the process. It ain't about you as a coach. It is about coaching as a process that has an amazing power, and you take that power and the client's power and put them together. You're just there to hold the container, and that's a different way of thinking. Teresa highlighted the competency of coaching presence so well, and that very concept of presence and releasing any element of judgment that we might be carrying is also touched on by Dr. Marshall Reynolds, who is also a master certified coach in episode 40. Coaching is about presence and the deepening of of mastery in coaching is the deepening of our presence. And the quicker that I can identify that I have a judgment coming up or I have something that I have. Anything that could block the presence. Anything is to be able to notice, to, to breathe, to release it and come back to, to appreciating the person in front of me. When we carry judgment into a session, it affects more than the client. It also has a cost for the coach. As I discussed with Meg Mann, MCC, in episode 73, we focused on emotional energy leaks and the impact that that has on the coaching relationship. For me, one of the first realizations was recognizing that the leaks were occurring as I said, firstly, on what energy I'm bringing to the room, you know, my mm-hmm. frenzied stress or if I spent time to gather my thoughts and become present. The second thing I started noticing of leaking energy was my judgments about my clients. And so with that, what I mean by that is by it's distracting me and leaking my energy that is my best energy mm-hmm. that prevents me from being that coach of objective, holding space, holding the client in positive regard, right? For who the client is on that given day. And if I have allowed the, that leak of judgment on the client, mm-hmm. that kind of impedes it. So the leaking of energy, it's like anything else. It depletes your resources to be your best. One of the energy leaks that we may experience in the coaching relationship is feeling challenged by that coaching relationship, by maybe not feeling in sync with our client, or maybe there's some resistance or something that we're reacting to within that relationship. Meg and I discussed possible ways to approach this, making sure that we stay in a coach-like manner. 
often as coaches, we invite our clients to reframe and to, and through the reframing process, we ask, we explore what's going on. So we can do that, a little bit of self-coaching for ourselves. Mm -hmm. What's really going on? What are the buttons that are getting pushed? So what, what is it about this client that we find particularly challenging? And again, one of the, the key things for us as coaches is to manage our, not just our energy, but manage our own beliefs of what's going on. Our clients are mirrors for us often. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing about our profession is that we are learning all the time from our clients. So maybe they're pushing a button that's an old pattern of beliefs that we need to let go of. We need to shift. We need to reframe. So... I think just that exploration, first is awareness, second is exploration, what's really going on. Are they pushing a put button that was from, I don't know, your, the old boss you had that you just couldn't stand or an ex or... Yeah, a, a some, sibling. Yeah, <laughs> any of those powerful yeah. relationships that... Exactly. Is it another relationship that's, that's reminiscent of some of that languaging that has nothing to do with your client or something else that's irritating you going on in your life and it just is sort of manifesting in that relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think some real good exploration, some possible reframe of saying, what if I'm here to learn from this client? Oh, I like that. What if I was to view this client in a different way? Mm -hmm. What if I go in as a learner, not as a coach being challenged? And once you've done a lot of those different steps and you're still coming to the conclusion that, you know what, this, it may just not be a good fit. So the reality is not every coaching partnership is the best match between the coach and the client. Since coaching is a relational business, it really stands to reason that not every relationship is a perfect fit. It would be sort of like, you know, that every person you meet is somebody that you want to work with, or that every personality is a good fit for your personality. It's, it's just not the way that human relations always work. The better we know ourselves as coaches, and the awareness that we have about what we bring to the table and how we respond to others can really create a better understanding of what we want to bring forward and how we want to engage in the relationship. Cynthia Lloyd-Darst, who's another Master Certified Coach, and I discussed the reality of client success and how we are working with our clients, the fact that some of the clients we work with are going to be a great match and are going to achieve the kind of success that they are hoping for, and yet others may have a different experience. So Cynthia talked about the reality of this in her episode, which was episode number one, and really brought some great insight to this. So because I've been doing this so long and I have, you know, the credentials and blah, 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 I'm sure that people think that every single client that comes to me, we do amazing things and they all get what they want. No, that's not true at all. That doesn't happen. It's, I mean, it happens sometimes, but you know, it's like, I would say, honestly, about 30% of my clients are so satisfied. They're over the moon. Their life changes and the clouds part and the angels sing. There are another 30% that it's like, Coaching is really good. 
and it's life-giving and it's fulfilling and it's satisfying to them. And then there are people, maybe about 20% actually, you know, this didn't quite work or it's like, I might not be the right coach. This might not be the right thing for them. Maybe they actually need a consultant. And so part of my job is to, like, I am not interested in continuing to take someone's money if I'm not the right fit. And it won't feel right to me either. And so just to lead to one more tip, one mantra that I've had for years is I never keep clients who cost me. So if you see someone's name in the calendar and you feel resentment or you feel like, oh, I'm going to have to spend enough time with, no, no, no. Either there's some work you need to do to clean that out. Or it's time for you to actually let that client go. And how do you do that? I will often say, you know, we've been working together a little while now, and it's just feeling like I'm not quite the right fit for you. So I don't want to keep taking your money if I'm not the right fit. Let's find the right coach for you. And that takes some gumption, but it's important to do from an integrity point of view. Another valuable piece of wisdom that she shared and that we can all learn from is the concept that sometimes we need to recontract with our clients to address issues if less than productive patterns have been established or are occurring within the coaching, that maybe that needs to be addressed. And that might be the missing piece within the relationship. And Cynthia talks about how to do that in such a a eloquent way that I wanted you all to rehear that again. Most schools teach something about contracting with a client initially or designing an alliance initially, right? And that's really important. To me, what we're looking for there is creating a safe and courageous space for both coach and client. Now, sometimes the coach will think, oh, I want my client to feel like it's a safe and courageous space, but they forget that they need to feel that way too. Absolutely. And this is normal, by the way. We contract at first, we get going. After a few sessions or a couple of months, we're kind of, it's easy to kind of go, oh man, I didn't set this up well with Sue in the beginning. And now I don't really have permission to intrude or, oh my God, she's always talking about her past or like whatever it is. And so it's important that you take the time to rework that contract, that designed alliance. Here's what I will do. I will say, Sue, we've been working together for three months now, and it's just a pleasure to work with you. I'm realizing that there are some things that are a little off that I want to talk to you about. Is it all right if we take our coaching to the next level? And usually somebody will kind of like, what's that? Okay, you know, next level. And I'll say, you know, early on, there's something I didn't set up well with you. And now I'm noticing that we've gotten into a habit. Try not to be, you know, (laughs) but where you tell me a big story about what has happened. And then we only have 10 minutes left in the coaching session. What if we do something else? You know, let's talk about, do you want to do maybe a prep report so that I'll know what's been going on in your life? Or could we do like a five-minute recap of what's been going on in your successes? You redesign it so that you are feeling in better shape with your client. One of my interviews 
was with my friend and mentor, Allison Hendren, Master Certified Coach and CEO of Coaching Out of the Box. And I asked Allison about the attributes that she believes successful coaches possess. Her answer reflected some similar attributes to what we had just heard Cynthia talk about and also talk, focus on sort of our willingness to create a partnership that allows for appropriate challenge within the coaching relationship. So that's what Cynthia was sort of focusing on when she talked about recontracting, that sometimes we have to contract to be able to appropriately challenge. And Allison also addresses this in this piece of her interview. So first of all, first of all, you've got to be willing to take risks and recognize that especially people will hire you as their coach because you have something they want. And there's something about you that demonstrates that. And you've really got to know that when you're working with someone, there obviously has to be a gap between where they are and where they want to be. you got to have that. But you've got to be prepared to challenge and move them forward. If they're not moving forward, if you're being just nice and, oh, isn't that great? And never kind of asking them some pretty pointed questions at times and really challenging them. People love to be challenged. And the other thing that I think really can help you, in my opinion, help support success is look for opportunities to encourage and acknowledge that person because people are starving for it. In my experience in organizations, they're all running around. They're so busy. There's so many things going on. They are not being encouraged enough. They're not being acknowledged enough. And I mean it in a sincere way and in a way that lands with the individual. I think those things are really critical. But you yourself, as the coach, also need to be committed to strengthening and developing yourself constantly. And this is what I like about coaching is it keeps me honest. <laughs> it does. Because I'm constantly having to go, oh, yeah, I better get my act together about that. And so I think being committed to doing that as well, but always thinking about have I challenged how the people need to be able to move farther, faster, easier, quicker, better than they would have if they hadn't had a coach, you know, you've got to provide value. Allison also encouraged us to be courageous with clients as she shared her most powerful tool when she engages with clients to win business. One of the things that I highly recommend is that you try to get an opportunity where you do a short introduction about coaching and you literally and this is what will strengthen anybody who's out there who's developing as a coach and one of the most powerful ways aside from coaching someone is having to do real live coaching demos not pretend not role play not oh we've rehearsed this whole thing but literally just right in the moment, having somebody sit on a stool with you and demonstrating it right then and there in front of a group of people. That has been my most powerful way when I've gone into organizations and talked to them is literally taking that risk. As frightened as I have been, I remember one time I was in one organization and I literally, I didn't even know I was going to do it. I'm with this, the CEO and all his team. 
And I literally said to him, well, how about we get some coaching here? Are you, are you open for it? And he looked at me and he sort of went, okay. And I literally started to coach him in front of his team. That was so cool because he was modeling willingness to take risk, willingness to be vulnerable in front of his team. I was modeling that they, they knew we hadn't, you know, practiced it or anything, and they were seeing how it could work. But, you know, it's going to it's going to put you on the edge. You're going to be on the hot seat. That takes courage on your part to, in front of the team, say, let's right. do it. Let's do some coaching. But as I've developed as a coaching educator, Meg, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, it's just been the best thing for me because it strengthened my ability to coach because I was willing to take those risks and kind of <laughs> put myself out there. I have to say that I have done a lot of life coaching demonstrations, and I know that sometimes they go very well and they're just smooth and, and kind of turn out the way that we want to when we're coaching in front of other people. And sometimes they're a little less inspiring. So I agree with Allison. It takes courage to be able to do that. Yet each and every time we hold space for a client to explore, there is going to be some element of impact. And people need to experience what the coaching process is like. Now, as an executive and mentor coach, as well as a coaching instructor who hails from that psychotherapy background, I'm a big believer in our responsibility to use approaches as coaches with our clients that are evidence-based. In my interview with positive psychology author and coach Caroline Miller, she stressed the importance of using approaches with our clients that have been tested by time and proven through research. She talks about goal setting and the importance of using these evidence-based approaches in this piece of her interview from episode 36. If you want to have high quality clients, I think you have to have high quality approaches because it does make you more credible. But beyond that, it makes clients more likely to be successful because if you're just going with smart goals or the law of attraction or a client says, here, here are my goals, let's go. And you aren't asking the important questions behind how was the goal set to figure out if it's intrinsic or extrinsic. Is it somebody else's goal or is it their goal? You know, what is the so what behind this goal? And on and on and on. You have to ask all the right questions to figure out if the goals are even appropriate. I spend several sessions just making sure that there is some evidence behind the fact that these goals are well set. And if they're not, we spend time figuring that out and doing an exercise I love called Best Possible Future Self, where people spin into the future and they write about life as if everything has gone as well as possible 10 years from now. And so this very simple journaling exercise that you traditionally do over three or four days, 20 minutes at a time has been found to have profound impact on people in a variety of ways. One thing it does is it clarifies goals and conflict, which is a piece of, you know, research that I found, you know, deep in academia, where many people are pursuing goals and conflict, and they don't know it till they do a journaling exercise, like best possible future self. 
because they both hold, they hold both of these goals as very, very valuable, but they haven't consciously moved one up and one down until they realize that the pursuit of one makes the other one less likely, or they can't be pursued at the same time. The research shows you'll be absolutely stalemated. You won't make progress on either one until you very consciously go through this process. That's just one way that you can begin to clarify short-term goals, long-term goals, goals in conflict, goals that are inappropriate, and, and so on and so forth. So that's that's just the goal setting piece. That's the evidence base. But the way I use the evidence behind grit is I often start by asking people, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? And they and I often have clients just take the grit scale because people mistake success for grit and they're two very different things. So you can have an ostensibly successful, talented person as a client. And yet they've always protected themselves by doing things they knew they could do, not things that they had to go out of their comfort zone to do. That's actually far more common than people realize because very competent people can do a lot of things, but does it mean they've had to go out of their comfort zone all the time? No. And so what I often find is a big goal lurking behind the, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? Because if they say, I can't really think of anything, quickly ask, what will you regret not pursuing? If you're looking back on your life and you haven't made progress on something that's valuable or meaningful to you, what I find is everyone has an answer for that question. Everybody. Because, and especially the people who have what's called a fixed mindset, the ones who have pursued goals that kept them inside of their comfort zone that they knew they would be praised for. And they protected getting that praise at all costs because they're afraid that they will fail if they do things they're not sure they can do. And so it's really important to understand Carol Dweck's work and motivation on fixed and growth mindset, which is another tool that I think many of us who've been trained in, you know, the the academic side of coaching use with clients. Um, So I just start there. What's the hardest thing you've ever done? Because then we have to talk about where's your self-regulation? Where's your willpower? You know, how do you delay gratification? Do you delay gratification? Or are you always doing the next thing that's the shiny penny? We also find that people can't focus. And this is this is part of our technology-driven, you know, community and world where our ability to actually focus is one second less than a goldfish now. So, you know, we find that a goldfish can maintain eye contact and focus for eight seconds. And for human beings, it's seven seconds. And it's getting worse by the year. And so the inability to focus and do deep work really hurts the ability to cultivate grit. So those are, you know, just a few things I talk about before we get into what are you passionate about? Not what are your interests, because you can have a lot of interests, but what are you passionate about? Because grit is is marked by having passion. It's almost like this zygarnic quality. You wake up thinking about it because the zygarnic effect is that things that are left undone pull you into the future. So I think grit has a zygarnic component to it where you're pulled forward by those passions. doesn't matter what other people are doing. Your mind always goes back to that thing you're passionate about. So that's another discussion. What are you passionate about? So those are just a few ways I use it. Now, because many evidence-based models actually originated in the field of psychotherapy, there can be confusion and sometimes even resistance about using those approaches because people feel like it's crossing a line going into therapy to apply them to work with coaching clients. And I love the way that Dr. Robert Hicks addressed that in his episode number three, when he cleared up that confusion and talked about the importance of using evidence-based models 
and the difference between therapy and coaching? There is no question that there are clear boundaries between coaching and therapy. But I also believe that there is a history of different approaches that have been proven to help individuals work through issues and problems and change that we can't ignore. Cognitive behavioral approach being one as an example that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. I think that the main difference for me in knowing where the line and boundary is, not so much the process, in other words, the approach that I'm using, as long as I'm using a solid approach to help people move to where they want to go, but it's content. It's the type of issues that people are dealing with. So when I'm coaching executives, or if, even if it was life coaching and helping a person think about what they want to do with their life, those aren't clinical issues. But if a person is feeling depressed or is overcome with anxiety or has certain fears that are dominating their life, those start to creep in. Those are clinical issues. And I can use the same approach. I could use a solution-focused approach in dealing with those clinical issues. Or I can use the solution-focused approach in dealing with a person's life goals or an executive's leadership goals or whatever. So for me, it's not so much the approach itself as it is making sure that you have a clear idea of the boundary between content that is clinically driven and content that is more coaching-driven. And I think that is a mistake that a lot of coaches make. They think that just because an approach has been developed for a clinical setting, for example, motivational interviewing being one, mm -hmm. which was developed for drug addicts and for alcoholics to help them move forward and change. Well, the same approach, a lot of the ideas of motivational interviewing, you know, which I've ultimately integrated into the Foursquare Coaching Framework that we'll talk about, is just as useful to develop motivation for people in pursuing personal or professional goals that they have. Through each piece of wisdom shared in today's show, we learn how to be more effective as a coach. Now let's touch base one more time with Janet Harvey as she gives some additional thoughts about our effectiveness as a coach. In order to be a really effective coach, one must come back to the authentic self which is a whole combination of things, right? It's our value system that most of us inherited from our family or people that were close to us in our formative years. And without taking some time to pause and say, is that still true? <laughs> Do those values represent how I make decisions and navigate my life? And if the answer is no, what are my values that I navigate my life with? Even that first level of introspection as an adult begins that process of unlayering. My good friend, Michael Stratford, who's also a longtime coach practitioner, always uses the phrase that coaching is about subtraction. And I said, oh, like Michelangelo. So Michelangelo always believed that the perfect sculpture lived inside the stone. All he had to do was chip away the excess. That wasn't necessary. This is the journey of becoming a coach. It's a Michelangelo sculpture. As we wrap up our 100th episode, I want to share one final piece of wisdom that comes from Master Certified Coach Vicki Escude. Vicki was my guest in episode 53 when she shared her heart framework of coaching with us. And the heart was an acronym. And I wanted to share her T 
part of her acronym with you again. So let's listen together as she describes the T of heart and what each of us can embrace through the coaching exchange. Many, many coaches, especially after they get through with academia, they forget about transformation. They don't think about it or they think it's presumptuous to think about offering transformation, transformational opportunities to their clients. So I think it's something that many coaches just push aside. They may be more comfortable with the A-G-A-R, but not the T, not the transformation part. But that's what we can offer our clients if we're willing to be open to it. We can offer the a situation and a relationship with them that can take them to a higher level, to to shift their perceptions so that they become more of who they are with fewer and fewer limiting beliefs that constrain them. Mm -hmm. They can have that experience of that wonderful spark that happens when the shift occurs and the heavens open up so to speak, those aha moments that, and, and really acknowledging those aha moments with our clients helps them to treasure them and to want to nourish them so mm-hmm. that going forward they can continue on that route. We as coaches have the opportunity to invite our clients to begin on a lifelong journey of transformation, small steps at a time, small bits of transformation at a time. I say that any shift in perception is a small transformation, even just a little bit. Mm -hmm. In that moment, the world becomes more beautiful and loving and kind and possibilities open up. And it gives our clients that thirst to experience it more and more. So we as coaches can offer that to our clients if we're willing to go there. Wow, such powerful insights and wisdoms throughout the episode. It was wonderful to hear them again. I re-listened to so many of my episodes as I was preparing for this show. I'm almost out of breath. I am so grateful for the sheer magnitude of generosity that our guests provide in sharing their knowledge, their perspectives, their experiences with us each and every week. As I mentioned, it was really a tremendous challenge to choose which shows to highlight in this milestone episode. And I am also just, my heart is warm with all that was shared and being able to share that with all of you again. I invite you to listen to each episode that was mentioned in today's show in its entirety because you will learn so much from each of these coaches, but not just from the shows that I shared in today's episode. Actually, any of the 99 previous episodes that are available in the Star Coach lineup offer an absolute treasure trove of knowledge and experiences and things for you to think about as you move forward in your coaching. 
I encourage you to stay tuned for upcoming episodes. We have episodes coming up on the neuroscience of coaching, on how to establish a solid session coaching agreement, avenues of leadership coaching, team and group coaching, so, so much more. I have been absolutely interviewing left and right these incredible coaches that I am excited to bring these new interviews to you. I want to thank you for being here and being a part of our 100th episode. To learn more about the Star Coach Show, visit starcoachshow.com where you can explore show resources, catch up on any missed episodes that you have. You can subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. And remember to put your name in for the ongoing book giveaway. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a rate and review. Every review we receive increases the visibility of our show. So until next week, this is your host, Meg Rentschler, wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fantastic day.